Welcome to the new and improved Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is now a place where we interview senior thought leaders in the SAP space across Australia and New Zealand. And the aim is to tap into their knowledge so we can pass on their insights to the listening SAP community. Please subscribe to the podcast and like, share and comment across Castos, YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to donate to the cause, please click the link below. Thank you for coming on. This is my colleague, um, Chris Reed, um, and we've just been talking about sport. And um, Chris, I know you were a keen footballer. Who did you draw in the FFA Cup, by the way? Um, we draw, drew against St. George's, who are uh, an MPL team, which should be a, a tricky a tricky game. Uh, but yeah, we'll see if we can get through to the next round and, and hopefully draw Northbridge in the, in the next round. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll play for Northbridge. Um, but uh, yeah, all the best with that, um, Chris. And um, thank you for inviting on our guest today, um, Kyle, um, Kyle Mulligan. Um, now, Kyle, I'm sure you need no introduction to, to the majority of the market, but if you could go through a bit about your your background and um, that'd be that'd be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, again, thanks, Chris and, and Jay for having me. Um, just on sport, sport, you know, initially for um, my younger years sort of dominated things. I, um, cricket is what I played, you know, from a very young age and then through to, you know, adulthood. Played uh, almost 200 games in the Premier um, uh, District Cricket Competition here in here in Melbourne um, in the state squad for a couple of years and, and just not quite good enough. Um, my claim to fame... Um, uh, was I was when I was uh, 19, I think I was a, an associate scholar at the Australian Institute of Sport, and that year um, had uh, had Glenn McGrath and Ricky Ponting, um, Justin Langer, um, and I was an associate, so I was just sort of like a train on, if you like, you know, for those guys. Um, but I always like to think that they just went in a slightly separate career direction uh, to me. Um, so yeah, as from a working perspective, uh, really, really lucky with how my sort of career started, I started um, uh, in financial services uh-huh. and working for a, uh, a company that I quickly went on to uh, what they called a management development program, which was like their grad program, if you like. And um, uh, from there went into a role um, that was predominantly looking at process improvement across the business. You know, there was a, there was a, um, a site in each um, capital around the country, um, and it was a global company um, that ran in 35 countries. So from there, process improvement naturally sort of went into the, you know, the bigger ticket way to affect, you know, process improvement with through technology. So then I've set up a, what they called a strategy program office, and um, I ran that for you know, a few years, and then the company was selected by our global parent to uh, replace the core legacy system, which was an old AS400 green screen, mm-hmm. um, you know, function keys um, uh, with SAP. And so that program went for about three and a half years, and I led a big component of that of that program. But I always, you know, reflect back on that. It was a, such a fantastic experience because it replaced, um, well, it changed everyone's job on the on the one day. Mm-hmm. And it had all of the components of, um, you know, a large, you know, transformation project from the com- the complexity, I suppose, of, um, you know, implementing an ERP solution um, from something that was heavily customised um, uh, previously, 
um, and then all of the aspects, I suppose, of, of a transformation going from A to B from a delivery side, but then the run side of things as well. And so after that program, um, I got asked to head up IT, and which I did for um, another three years uh, from there. And I always thought that, you know, I had to leave at some stage, even though it was a great company, um, that uh, from there I went to one of the larger um, SAP installations in the country um, and uh, SAP and cloud services manager there, which sort of then morphed into head of applications. And again, it was a it was a consistent sort of experience that I had from my previous company where it had a big component of change mm -hmm. um, and the company was going through significant change, but it also had a responsibility for the run environments of that system and, and business critical systems needed to keep the lights on. So I always think with that as well, it, it educated me extremely well on the criticality of getting projects right and implementing, you know, something into production that, um, uh, you know, um, is seamless really and um, doesn't impact the running of the business. So, you know, I did have instances of instability uh, with that organisation for, you know, for, for various large systems. And yeah, it's just not where you want to be, where the, the business can't deliver what they do for a living. So again, it was a really good project education for me. And whenever I'm talking to, I suppose, um, you know, younger individuals coming through, the ranks from from projects or project management i always think that it's a great experience to to have in the project ba oh, sorry in the in the bau environment for for um uh, production uh support even though it's not the sexiest uh aspects of it and you know incidents and tickets but it does really ground you in you know the criticality of getting projects right because the support individuals cop you know a hell of a lot of pressure and you know if the if the systems are unstable so um uh from there I, I got a bit itchy feet again for another transformation so i was with that other company for four years which was a, a, a fantastic experience and so then i went um and was technology program director for um, a large global finance transformation which was mm -hmm. looking at a multitude of finance systems uh, and basically uh, decommissioning those into a single, you know, instance. It was their first real enterprise system. So it was an incredibly complex project, um, tough, I suppose, cultural environment as well, but um, uh, incredibly, you know, um, incredibly rewarding one where um, we did implement, you know, their first ERP enterprise solution successfully. You know, a, again, it was, so much complexity had three major vendors Accenture, Capgemini and uh, Infosys all uh, as vendor partners for that for that program all required to uh, to be delivering to a consistent you know end-to-end -end solution so that whole aspect of you know um, having a real focus on the outcome and forming teams and relationships and, and developing trust you know regardless of the commercial construct that might be in place was you know huge aspects of that program which again was absolutely fantastic and you know I, one of the things that I learned from that was that no one you know wants to do you know a bad job you know and if you can get the right environment um, that uh, you know you can uh, build some really good momentum. And then from there, I joined one of the larger SIs um, and was there uh, for four and a half years. For the majority of that time, was heading up the SAP practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the final uh, probably um, 15, 16 months was uh, in a transformation capability um, capacity, uh, looking at growing the transformation business, but also um, developing um, team members as well in regard to, you know, the I suppose being comfortable with the complexity and ambiguity of, of large transformations and um, and trying to encourage the thinking of really looking forwards um, for 
for risks and risk mitigation and building that level of experience um, within the organization, which again was was fantastic. So sort of leads us to where I'm at today. Brilliant. So it's fascinating to see your your career and how you've kind of gone through the different uh, stages. And I know I know um, we today we're going to be speaking about kind of standardization versus customization on particular um, projects. But I just want to go back to the beginning of your career there and how you got into um, SAP. And obviously you mentioned it was a big, big program. I think you said it was three and a half, three and a half years. And it always fascinates me now because there's a a lack of new talent coming through um, and that coincides with these huge programs. Like very rarely do you get a huge program um, anymore. And I think the the SAP community is really struggling with getting new talent. Um, and like you mentioned there, you was kind of finance background and then almost got pulled onto an, an SAP um, project. Um, have you got any kind of um, insights on what one of the larger SIs you worked on, what they did to get talent through or encourage talent or nurture talent through into the SAP community? Yeah, I think, well, just on the, you know, that um, that program that I sort of cut my teeth on from an experience perspective I just feel you know incredibly lucky you know I was I was with an organization that had a had a um, incredible appetite to change and improve I was just in the right place at the right spot you know right spot at the right time and um, the thing with these large transformation programs and again that I think about myself my own personal experience that three and a half years I, I think that I got I feel that I got 10 years worth of experience within that three and a half years, just because of the magnitude of all of the aspects of, you know, a large transformation of the, you know, there was the, the organizational change component, but there was also, you know, this aspect of customization of the solution, you know, versus configuration. Um, there was the elements of, you know, an incredibly complex data migration. There was the integration components to other, you know, legacy systems and how end-to-end -end functions needed to exist. So they were all incredibly complex from from um, from that program. That, um, you know, again was interesting for me for for the rest of my career to be very grounded in that. And even, you know, things like. Um, you know, cutover management, you know, in, in programs since that time, I've always been incredibly, I suppose, um, I've, I've given an incredible amount of importance to start the, the things like, you know, developing run sheets for cutovers very, very early so that once you do, you practice that all the way through, you know, the life cycle of the program for new environments, et cetera, just as one smaller example. But when you get to production, that you've really got that down to a very fine art that you extremely confident that nothing's going to go wrong and all the individuals that need to contribute to it are very well practiced because again production um, you know needs to be priority one two and three you know the, of what the business do for a living so how that grounds you grounds you back I think from the perspective of your question then of you know how do you bring people through and I think that from an SI perspective um, for that you know four and a half years um, that I've just recently had I think that one of the big things is around I suppose for, for individuals at my level anyway, is to be very uh, present, I suppose, and hands-on in the sales process. Mm -hmm. And that, um, I think for me, uh, is, you know, thinking about the team and particularly heading up, you know, the SAP practice like I was, um, incredibly important to be able to provide the opportunity for individuals to be involved in large transformation programs. You know what I mean? That probably is the, is the first and foremost, that people can't develop you know, um, to their potential, unless they've got the opportunity to do that. You know what I mean? I think that where the where I've seen a little bit of the market sort of going 
um, just at the moment anyway, is that um, there's not uh, that many large transformation, SOP transformations that are happening, like real true transformations, but there are a lot of technical migrations that are happening. So that yeah. whole thing of, you know, the um, SAP and the end of the maintenance schedule for um, uh, for ECC6 and then pushing everyone to HANA, I think it's um, 2027 now. So customers um, or organisations um, needing to make that change, but not having the appetite to, to to do a transformation along with that, you know, um, as part of it, and just looking to make, you know, that uh, that uh, specific technical jump. So the technical migrations then uh, necessitate more, I suppose, functional and technical skill competencies to be able to make sure that things are still functioning as they were, if you like, and then doing, you know, your your, your remediation testing and your and your you know performance testing, etc. So real nut and bolts type activities, um, which again isn't providing the, the opportunity for individuals, again, from a larger transformation yeah. perspective. Yeah. So um, I think that, again, when, when those uh, larger transformation opportunities are there in the marketplace, you know, it's important to, to really try and put your best foot forward for winning those because that then provides the vehicle or the vacuum for um, uh, for those individuals to come through. And, and again, I think about my own example that um, the experience that you get out of just being involved in that and a large ecosystem of a transformation um, is incredibly valuable for people's careers. Perfect. So let's let's um, focus now on um, yeah some of those big projects that you've that you've had um, in particular around standard versus customization, which is a topic I know we when we met before this is something that you had some you know, really good insights um, into. Um, but um, I know SAP is trying to. Get everyone to go standard but in reality that's not really uh, the way that customers want to go um but yeah from your perspective how do you deal with that um and yeah what's your view on standard versus customization when jay you and i were talking about topics for this podcast i suppose that was something that's um you know i'm quite passionate about because you know in every transformation that i've been involved in the senior executive of the organization will have a strategic intent that they're going to adopt standard functionality. As soon as the program starts and the, the business um, subject matter experts get involved, um, literally from the first workshop, all that strategic intent goes out the window when the business SMEs come to a workshop and say, no, nah, we can't do it like that. We're, we're, we're unique. We do it different. And all, you know, everything sort of unravels from there. But it is an important topic, I think, because thinking about you know the the length of a you know a transformation program and the example that i had i suppose early in my career of three and a half years you know that that probably won't happen again because you know things being condensed and and etc but it was um a very a, a you know an extreme example i suppose the transformation programs are quite lengthy by their very nature you know whether that's 12 months or 18 months or even 24 months at the at the extreme a lot can happen you know over that period of time so on the point of customization it's important that um, that strategic intent is then aligned to structurally how you're going to manage that intent all the way along because the you know a, the business means um, as that point that i raised um, you know at that first design meeting it all goes it all goes pear-shaped you need to be thinking about the thousand conversations that happen every day of how you're going to manage that. So thinking about the 
the life cycle of, of a transformation and if you like the path to production so going from you know a, a, a program being endorsed and business case that concept i suppose of um what you're going to configure and, and versus what you're going to customize because the thing is that there is good customization so you know customization isn't something to be scared of but it needs to be customization for things that are unique for that customer so aspects that are real commodity particularly around the finance area i suppose as, a, as an example um, for standard functionality to be adopted you know and the customization oh, sorry for the configuration um, to be adopted versus things that are you know again very diff differential for that customer in the marketplace and for the customization to be done in a way that then upgrades can be adopted and all that sort of stuff is all is all fairly standard practice so that sort of mindset of um uh you know what needs to be adopted can almost be started you know at the contract stage so when the contract negotiation um is happening you know with with an si and, and locking down um you know master service agreement statements of work there is an intent there that can be aligned within a contract very early on that then puts the the si on notice that you're looking for that organization to help you manage that intent so um you know whether that's aspects that again just are from a discussion and then from a clause perspective in regard to governance you know what you're expecting from the si to bring to the table um, from a perspective of keeping the amount of customization in check and the transparency of that as well mm -hmm. so something from then when, once you get through to um, starting the the design session something that, that i've seen and adopted uh, quite successfully is having a design council or a design authority and lots of big transformations that have them but it is um, a mechanism that then floats up once you once you're starting the design sessions across the various aspects whether it's you know finance supply chain you know warehouse management transport management whatever um, when there is a customization component that that floats up to the surface to have a body that um, uh, potentially meets every week that I suppose the mandate to be checking the the um, the customization request and really looking at um, uh, potentially pushing back on that quite hard to really challenge the the functional um, consultant and their business me counterpart um, to whether that's actually required and then uh, as another layer on that whether it's the the steering committee meeting on a monthly basis to then have the steering committee as a final check so it should be a bit of a rubber stamp if the weekly um, design authority is is endorsing it but um, again it's putting the checks and balances in place to really make sure that I suppose from that governance perspective that once you I suppose you roll the movie forward to getting into system integration testing and user acceptance testing as an example that there's not this big surprise of how heavily customized the system is so again I've been involved in in programs where that has been a surprise because as I sort of mentioned as these thousand conversations happen every day in regard to the design that things can get away from you all of a sudden with the best intent of different things but you put that all together and all of a sudden the asset that um, is going to be implemented into production is something that's more customized than the organization would have liked so in a very long-winded way sorry Jay and Chris that I'm, I'm sort of uh, looking looking to uh, looking to make is that the start of that um, if you like that governance from the strategic intent really needs to start from day one and the individuals that you put into different roles so i suppose just from from that aspect um, thinking about the design authority and again an example that um, i've seen work very successfully is that you um, 
engage a part-time subject matter expert, whether it's someone from finance or someone from industry, depending on what, what the industry might be, that they then provide some content into that design authority to be checking the consultants, you know, and the SME's recommendations along the way. So um, they can provide, if you like, a sounding board, but also a challenging um, aspect to the requirement for that customization. So that's thinking about structurally what you might put in place to keep that, you know, that customization in check. And the other side of things, I suppose, is the relationship between the functional consultant and the business me, which is incredibly important because the functional consultant, you know, coming from day one will bring experience of um, SAP as an example, you know, and their functional domain, and the business me will bring the experience and expertise of the business. Sure. And so um, how do you get trust to be developed very quickly that, again, from a perspective of standard functionality from um, the functional consultant is something that the business me is comfortable to be adopted. So there is, again, a thousand conversations that happen, happen per day, you know, between those two individuals, but the relationship and trust that they develop over a period of time is absolutely crucial that they're working in uh, working in unison. You touched on there, Kai, um, regarding you know relationship building, building trust, and, and we find the best people that we we work with and that we know have that ability to to build really good relationships with you know customers and users and and colleagues. Um, I guess do you have any examples of, of how you might have done this in the past? Yeah, well, it's, it's been interesting few years, hasn't it, with um, with COVID and uh, and remote working, and um, that has meant that there has been a couple of programs that I've started in that time, which have started in more of a remote um, a remote landscape where both the business me and the functional consultant might be in um, in different states, but certainly working from home. And that creates a real challenge because looking at that personal relationship side of things, which is important, you know, um, uh, with those two individuals and, you know, um, and how they sort of move forward is absolutely crucial. So it's coming up with things, um, you know, to try and, and, and build that relationship. So something that um, from a kickoff perspective of a program, again, I think really important, again, from that strategic intent of the program and, and painting a picture of, you know, what it, what's important for the business. But then also um, how you kick the program off from a perspective of, you know, senior leadership around transparency, you know, and openness and um, uh, the ability to have tough conversations because, you know, transformations by their very nature will have, you know, a high degree of ambiguity and discovery, you know, as part of it, you know, the um, you know, uh, request for proposals as an example that hit the market um, sort of scratch the surface. That um, once you get into into the you know the bowels of a design, you know the complexity that might be there and the way that you know you work through that you know, you know with between functional consultant and business counterpart is extremely important. So I think part of it is um, if you can be you know on site very early and and start to build you know some some personal relationships. Um, but it does need to be work from both sides, um, you know, from a perspective of um, the functional consultants um, and making sure that they're very aware that they have a responsibility to be building that relationship with the customer. And it's extremely important. And because sometimes, and I won't stereotype, you know, them too much, but there can be, I'm a functional expert. I know what I, you know what I do. I can configure the system. But the other aspect of consulting skills and relationship building skills needs to be 
something that the senior leadership of the program really makes sure that the functional consultant is aware of their responsibility to build that bridge. You know, I mean, that's their their core skill set. And then on the flip side, the business side of things, I think from a perspective of being open and transparent, I sort of pull back from saying at all times, but as, you know, as much as possible, um, because the 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 more that you can build that trust through through openness, I think, um, the more you know when there are uh, problems and and dilemmas and um, things that uh, I suppose uh, some of those tough decisions that need to be made, the more you can engage with them, you know, as part of that, particularly early on, then builds you know a bit of a runway, f- you know, for the program and those relationships as you sort of move forward. Because things don't get any easier, you know, once things do get to um, you know into uh, into build phase as an example. And I think that the other aspect um, that I have seen as well is is using Agile uh, has got a place uh, in large transformation programs, but more in my personal experience anyway, more from a concept perspective. So, you know, I can't, again, from my own personal bias, I might be a little bit of a dinosaur, but the large waterfall projects where it does have some large stage gates moving through from design move through build, move through system integration, testing, user acceptance testing, and, and ultimately into production, does give uh, the opportunity for transparency of where you're at. And I think that that's very important, you know, and again, to give the confidence as, you, as you're sort of moving through. But having a, a sprinkle of agile techniques in there, I think is very, very useful. So as an example, through the build phase, to have, you know, daily stand-ups, um, again, is a mechanism that you can continue to build that transparency and relationship between mm-hmm. the functional SMEs, uh, the functional consultants and the business SMEs. But then also the opportunity to uh, conduct showcases along the way in build so that, you know, something that you're doing there is with the showcase, ideally has the business SME presenting the solution mm-hmm. to the, um, the other business counterparts and the senior executives, which then gives, you know, a, another level of accountability and, um, and ownership on the business side as you sort of move through. But the function consultant really needs to help and coach the business me to get them into that position, looking at, you know, they've never been involved, let's say, in a large transformation. And then in the build phase, so, you know, you've rolled the movie forward maybe six seven eight months then you're looking for them present the solution so again that there's uh, you know an incumbency on the functional consultant to be reworking hand in glove with the businessman but if you can get the businessman in that position by that stage you're well on the way to um, uh, something that's going to be successful again when there's problems still so you haven't even got into system integration testing or user acceptance testing when other things begin to pop up but if you can be building that that um, that trust i think it's um it's only going to hold you in good stead yeah, I like that idea of uh, the the SME uh, presenting to the the business. It kind of gives them a accountability, and uh, yeah, I really like that. That's good. And um, I want to touch on um, your SI experience and working with with customers. Um, and on that same topic of um, you know standardized versus customization, and there's every intent to go standard at the start. Um, and what what happens when a, a customer does want a lot of customization and you're there as the SI um, and you've got the incentive to to get it over the line. You've got that incentive or even that incentive to win the project, for instance. Um, but you know that you can see that they're going down the wrong wrong route. Um, like how do you how do you manage that from an SI perspective? Look, I think from the start of if you feel like trying to win um, 
uh, win work. Um, you know, this stuff, as we know, is, is very competitive and, you know, there's a lot of good skills, you know, within the, the SI market. Um, but I think that from, you know, my perspective, the best approach is, is always being honest. Again, a transformation program, uh, sort of what I mentioned, by its very nature, they go for a long time. It's a long relationship. You really have to start that on the right foot. Um, and if there are aspects of um, the solutioning side of things that um, you're very confident in, um, you know, articulating them in a way that tries to educate the customer as early as possible um, and take them on that journey with you, I think for me has always been the best approach. And um, I think, you know, again, that customers uh, and organisations, you know, they're run by people and, and you know, predominantly people they appreciate, you know, honesty and openness. Now, it won't, you know, uh, talk a good game there and it won't always win you the deal because it could get down to, you know, the, your, your price is, you know, way out of out of the realms and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of aspects in their solution. But I think from a perspective of coming into the sales process and looking at it from uh, almost an education process of the customer as well is one approach. As you get into then the program itself and if there is a strong desire for customization and if there are the mechanisms, as I say, that you've tried to put in place for the education, you know, of the program itself. Um, but there can be other, you know, other forces at play, you know, as a result of it. You know, time could be one, you know, that they need to get it in. There's big blackout periods that I've done with another customer. So you really were driven by a very hard timeline, which can compromise your decision making along the way. So there's some reality, there's commercial reality as well of how much they're, they're looking to spend. Um, so there's lots of aspects, but I think that setting up the governance side of things is very important and the transparency of the governance of that as well. So that as you're moving along, you've got consistency, you know, of the aspects of the program, good, bad, or indifferent, um, that again, it's building up um, that understanding. And so that there's no surprises later on. Because I, I always think, I also think that it's better to have the tougher discussions early mm -hmm. um, and take, you know, take them on, take, uh, you know, on that, on that journey, rather than, you know, a surprise of, of something that's too late. Sure, sure. Okay. And the last thing I want to um, focus on is the change management piece. Um, like there's a lot of customers at the minute that have heavily customized systems and they'll be going through that that pain of going to standard, which is a huge, huge change. Um, any insights on on that change management piece uh, for organizations? Yeah, well, it's, it's one of the aspects when I, um, I sort of mentioned earlier on that one of the the areas that you know I really have as a very high priority is around cutover management, mm. and I suppose an element with with that that again is is really crucial uh, is around organisational change. And you and you would hear from a transformation perspective, you know, it's the success of the the transformation is all about you know the business adoption and, and organisational change, but from a the nut and bolts of a, a transformation projects and the inner workings, it can be at times a little bit superficial. So the mechanics of a, you know, a large transformation can really dominate, you know, the functional design, you know, the milestones of the project, um, you know, getting from, from A to B from an aspect of moving through those stage gates can really dominate um, the, the visibility and organizational change can be left a little bit as, you know, just a smaller, as a smaller layer. So the concept I suppose that we're talking about of customization and configuration 
um, is a really crucial one for for organisational change because the you know again if the if the business were able to um, uh, persuade by various mechanisms that it was a highly customised system, potentially then the business change would be smaller because they're doing things that are a bit similar to what they were doing before versus more that you can maintain standard has got the potential of being a larger organisational change um, impact for them. But again, from an asset perspective, what they're believing for, they've, you know, again, the asset, um, the more standard you can keep it, the, you know, the better the hygiene of that asset is going to be over a long period of time. So getting the organisational change individuals involved very early. So some programs that I've seen as well, you know, look at, you know, organisational change, getting involved, you know, as a little tiny sprinkle and then getting more, um, I suppose, active as part of the testing phases. I'm certainly of the mindset that the earlier you can get the organisational change guys involved, the better, because getting them involved in those, for as an example, in those design authority meetings gets them very much to roll the sleeves up of what the impact of that change is going to be and those decision makings early on. And I think that getting, and it can be hard as well, and I don't want to stereotype organisational change individuals either, but it can be hard to get uh, OCM practitioners that have got more of a, a functional bent. So they're a bit, as an SAP perspective, as an example, they've got a, a bit more granular understanding of the functional components and they're able to then look at that from perspective of the change that's going to be adopted rather than communication or marketing or learning plans, et cetera. And again, that's that's doing them a little bit of that that competency a bit of a disservice but I think that if you can get individuals that from an OCM perspective that have got a little bit more of a functional bent and they're able to then um, recognize the impact of that change into a business context early on then you're going to go you know a, you know a long way I suppose from the ingredients needed for success and I think that that uh, if you look at then a bit of a triangle relationship, and we sort of talked about earlier, the functional consultants and the business SMEs and the importance of that relationship, if you can get the organisational change um, uh, consultants embedded in that relationship as well, that as a, you know, as a three-pronged um, uh, relationship attack for understanding what the change is, because the business SME uh, is going to be absolutely crucial from a perspective of that business adoption and then the encouragement back into their business because they've already got that credibility and how the organizational change um, individual can work with that individual as an example, um, again, is, is, is a, an extremely um, important relationship to, you know, to, to really invest in. And just before we finish, Kyle, um, just kind of strip everything back, I guess, what, what would you say is your, your number one tip for, I guess, any inspiring, aspiring SAP leader? Look, it's a, just a great career path. Um, you know, you look at just the marketplace for SAP potential, you know, uh, organisations needing to change, you know, as an example, is really the, there are so many opportunities in the in the marketplace itself and the, the breadth of opportunities in different types of programs. So, you know, as a SAP leader, you can be a bit technology, oh, sorry, industry agnostic. So whether it's, you know, from mining or energy utilities or finance, um, whatever you can stretch. So the only other thing that I would say is that, and I, and I do do, um, do a little bit of coaching for a, a few individuals. And one of the core themes is is for um, uh, for leaders in this space, just to be comfortable in the ambiguity. So every day you wake up and you're in a large transformation program, there'll be a problem. 
You know, you won't know what that problem is yesterday, but it'll appear in the morning. And just to be comfortable with that, that's the nature of the job. You know, you've got to um, group individuals together. You've got to structure around problems. You've got to um, negotiate um, uh, in certain things. There's going to be ambiguity in regard to, you know, things that come out in regard to testing. But just to be comfortable in that, I think, is is a key lesson. And if you can be, um, you know, not stress about it, that, you know, you'll get another 10 problems that will happen today and be comfortable that that's the nature of the job to work through those things every day, that you're, you're well on the way to becoming successful in the space. Great advice, Carl. Love it. Um, so look, I really appreciate you coming on uh, today on the Configure It Done podcast. Um, absolutely fantastic insight, especially around customization. Before we let you go, is there anybody in the market that you've worked with um, in your career that you feel could provide some really good insights um, and you'd like to hear on the podcast? Um, there's there's a guy that, um, uh, um, one of the best application guys going around, I think, a guy by the name of David Crombie. Um, and to that point of relationships and support and being comfortable in the ambiguity, uh, absolutely fantastic. And the ability for, you know, for him to build trust with individuals, you know, and to, and uh, I suppose that whole thing of, you know, building up a core of individuals that, you know, would sort of do anything for you um, and, and get involved in any problem. Uh, David had the ability or has the ability to, to do that. And um, I think that that's, you know, incredibly, um, you know, an incredibly great skill. And, and he was a fantastic leader. The other guy that's led a big program that I had a lot of um, a lot of respect for in a very tough environment. And he really knows the space very well. It's a guy by the name of Pat Carrick. And um, uh, Pat, a fantastic transformation leader, um, thinking about the business, but also um, with a with a really nice style for problems and working through, again, some really complex stuff. But those two guys, um, uh, thanks, Jay, for putting me on the spot. Um, uh, sort of top of mind as individuals that, you know, really, really good in this space. Well, Chris will be reaching out to both of you, <laughs> for sure. But, uh, no, Carl, really appreciate your, your time. Thank you for coming on. And, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Please like, share, comment and subscribe to the Configure It Done podcast.